Man, that is a, uh, a fantastic thing to sing and to pray and to uh, ask the Lord to do as we get ready to open his word together. Uh, the last words that we just sang is, come and fill me again. Uh, Holy Spirit, will you come and fill me again? And that's what we do each week as we open up God's word together. And uh, part of our, our worship is hearing from the Lord. And the way that we hear from the Lord is through the word that he's uh, given us. And so what we're going to do now, uh, as, um, as we do each week, is we're going to open up our Bibles and we're going to uh, listen to what the Lord has to say uh, to us through, uh, through his word. So I just invite you, if you haven't yet, uh, grab a copy of scripture. If you have one with you, take that out, put that on your lap, and open up to the book of John. If you don't have um, a copy of scripture with you, uh, you can find Find one underneath one of the seats in front of you. You're welcome to use that. If you don't own a Bible, take that home. That's a gift to you. We'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word and Scripture uh, that you can study and that you can see and that you can look at uh, this morning. Uh, we're in John chapter 5, continuing a series walking through this gospel written by one of Jesus' closest friends uh, with one singular purpose, uh, that we would see and understand that Jesus is the Son of God and that by seeing and believing that, that we would find life in his name. Uh, this morning, the passage, let me just give you the title, um, it's, it's, uh, I've called it Look Closer. Uh, the passage that we're looking at this morning is kind of the longest teaching section that we're coming to in the book of John so far. Uh, he's kind of taught a little bit. He's said a few things here and there. Uh, but this morning is kind of a longer uh, part where Jesus is teaching this morning, and, and he's encouraging or inviting us to look a little closer at who he is and what he's doing and what's going on. And uh, I don't know, um, uh, you know if, if this is a normal thing, if everyone kind of goes through this phase or if this was just me growing up, uh, but when I was younger, I loved, loved, loved optical illusions, like any sort of, um, you know, kind of tricky thing. Remember those uh, magic eye uh, things? Um, did anyone remember those things where you'd have to like kind of like, you know, make your eyes cross-eyed and kind of, and then this thing would kind of come off the page or uh, MC, I think Escher is out, you say his name, you know, all the, his kind of drawings that didn't quite make sense or sort of line up with reality. But I loved optical illusions, that sort of thing. I got super into that um, as a kid and had posters and, and uh, things in, you know, that I kind of held on to. Uh, there's some optical illusions that have, um, you know, been around for a long time. Uh, let me show you a couple of them. Um, one of them here is the, uh, the duck or the rabbit. Uh, this is actually over 100 years old, so I'm guessing um, that you've seen this before, but uh, as you look at it, uh, what, what do we see here? Just go ahead and shout it out. What do you see? A duck? Did someone say rabbit? Or like, it sounds like I heard more duck than rabbit. Do you guys see the... So the rabbit is looking that way, okay? The, the beak is the, uh, the ears of the, of the rabbit. And um, now that you see a rabbit, it's kind of, I don't know, maybe you don't see the duck anymore. It kind of goes back and forth, right? Um, you kind of see, uh, you can see both in it. It's meant to look uh, that way. Here's another one. This one's been around for a while, um, but this is uh, usually referred to as kind of the uh, old woman versus the younger woman. Do you see an old woman or do you see a young woman? Um, I think, I think, I might not, I might be off here. I think on first glance, most people tend to see the old woman. Um, so you see she's kind of wearing like a, you know, she's dressed for, for Wisconsin. She's, she's kind of wearing a little fur, fur sort of uh, coat or, or uh, you know, something around her shoulders. You kind of see her mouth, her uh, saw, like a shawl or something like that. Um, do you see the young woman, though? Do you see the young woman? The young woman is looking, we're looking at her back. And so uh, what is the nose of the woman is actually her jawline, her chin. You kind of see her eyes sort of looking off. The eye is actually her ears. 
and, uh, and, and, and then there's a, the mouth is a necklace. Like it all just changes, right? Some of you are trying to help your, help your, uh, your spouse, your partner, your neighbor, your neighbor here this morning, whoever's sitting next to you. It's okay, this is a team project. We're gonna see it together. I'll give you another second to just kind of look at it. Yeah, I think your eye tends to go to, to one, but you kind of see uh, the other. This one, again, has been around for a while. All right, the internet has this. You can look at this later. Let me show you one more. Let me ask you, this is a little newer. This one, I think, was first surfaced on Instagram or something like that. Um, what do we see here? What is this? What does it look like? A beach, right? I think when I first saw it, I was like, oh, it's like kind of a, a night beach, kind of a, kind of a cool like, vibe sort of capture going on there with like, you know, sort of the, the evening. You kind of see the waves sort of rushing up, and you see kind of the horizon in the, in the distance, kind of a cloudy night, not a lot of stars going on. Do you want to know what it really is? Some of you know. It's a car door with a dent on it. Okay, uh, here. So see, it. that's the cracked car door, and that's the ground underneath the car door. That's just like an old beat-up car, okay? And so some of us, we see this, and we're like, man, this, is, this, is, uh, this looks like a beach. And, and let's go back to it. Let's see it, see it again without it. Yeah, it still kind of looks like a beach, doesn't it? We're like, wait, is it a car door? Yeah, it is. It's a car door. A guy just took a picture of his car door and posted this, and it looks like a beach scene. And maybe you've heard the expression or you've heard this thing that perception is uh, reality, right? Like if, if I perceive it, then that is the way that it is. Um, but that's not always true, is it? Like here in this situation, our perception is, man, that's a beach scene, but it's actually somebody's car door. It's like a 96, you know, Ford Taurus or something. Like I don't, you know, it's not a beach. And the closer, I think that it's, there's places in life where it's fine. It's fine to like kind of see both or have different perception or, or kind of perceive things in different ways. But there are places in life where this has major impact on me, on, on the life that I live, the, the way that I view things, like the way that I perceive things, it's super important that I get it right. And so this morning, as I said, we're calling the passage Look Closer because what Jesus is doing is he's trying to correct and set the record straight on the perception that the people have of him, of Jesus of what he's doing, of why he's doing it, of what he is intending uh, to do. And so uh, let me give you the big idea. Um, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Uh, I think our passage is going to show us this this morning. It's only when I perceive Jesus correctly can I respond to him rightly. We said last week that Jesus, the works of Jesus show us the heart of the Father, and they missed it. They didn't see the perception of, of, of the heart of the Father. And so this morning, what we're going to see is that when I perceive Jesus correctly, then I can respond to him rightly. The response that they had was not correct. It was not right of the people watching Jesus working. The context of the teaching we're looking at this morning follows on the heels of what we just looked at last week. If you were here last week, or maybe, maybe you weren't, um, and uh, I, can, I can catch you up, but there was a miracle that happened uh, last week. Jesus healed in Jerusalem a man who had been lame for 38 years. For 38 years, he had been unable to walk. Jesus saw him, asked him a kind of a curious question, do you want to be healed? He's doing more than just healing him physically. He's doing some work in his heart, but he's like, do you want to be healed? And then he healed him. And after healing him, he said, take up your bed and go, walk. And so the man who had never walked in 38 years uh, got up, took his bed, and began to walk. That was all fine until he was seen at the temple or near the temple 
by some of the leaders and, and some of the Jewish people saw him and they're like, what are you doing? Why are you walking? Not like, why are you walking? But why are you walking and carrying your bed? They were worried that he had his bed in his hand. Why? Because it was the Sabbath. Jesus had healed him on the Sabbath and carrying the bed was seen in their eyes as work. And God had said not to work on the Sabbath, which he did, but they had defined it quite differently than God had intended. Jesus saw no problem with him getting, taking up his bed and walking. He was not breaking the Sabbath law, yet the laws that man had kind of put around the Sabbath law, he did see. And so they were confronting him. They were opposing him. And so what we come to this morning is Jesus' response to the people. They're like, why are you walking on the, why are you doing this on the Sabbath? Why are you working on the Sabbath? Who is this Jesus? Why is he healing on the Sabbath? And he's like, hey, you're missing the point. You got to look a little closer because what I think you think you're seeing, like that duck or the old woman or the beach scene, he's like, it's not that. There's more going on. You're missing it. Let me correct your perception because your perception is not reality in this case. And he's working to show them that. That's where we're going this morning. My hope is that as we read and study this passage together, that we'll have a greater perception of Jesus and that we would have a writer, a more correct response to who he is. Let me pray as we get ready to look at the scriptures together. God, we thank you once again for the opportunity to gather in this room, Lord, to lift our voices together, uh, Lord, to hear from your word now. And God, I just ask that you would teach us. Um, Spirit, would you fill us as we study your word together? Would you lead us into the truth that you have for us here this morning? From this passage, God, from this teaching, we ask this of you, uh, knowing that you want to show us. God, you want to teach us this morning. And so we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're going to walk our, our, our way through the passage. We're going to kind of break it up this morning. This is, um, it's a passage that we probably could break into. I told the uh, team this morning as we were gathering, probably could break it into like five different sermons. I'm not going to preach five sermons. I'm just going to preach one. Um, but each one of these could probably be a sermon in and of itself. There's a lot that Jesus is trying to reveal and kind of talk to and, and, and correct here. So we're going to just kind of break it down, walk through it line by line, uh, paragraph by paragraph. That's what we like to do here. So let's look at God's word together. Uh, John chapter 5, beginning in verse 9. Again, following the miracle, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show you, so that you may marvel." Jesus is doing several things in this passage, and each one of them, I think, garners our response uh, to that. Here's the first thing that we see. We see that when Jesus is working, I am moved to marvel. When Jesus is working, I am moved to marvel. Do you see it right there in that? He kind of unpacks what's happening, because again, they just saw a miracle. They saw a man that was uh, healed and able to walk that had not been able to. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord. What does that mean? He's saying, listen, he's like, what you just saw, that's not just me. That's not Jesus of Nazareth, that carpenter, uh, you know, the son of a carpenter, uh, just Jesus of Galilee. This is, this is more than just me. This is the son doing something through the father. It says he does only what he sees the father doing. 
For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Man, I love, um, I love all my kids uh, equally, um, uh, tremendously, but there's a unique relationship with each of them. I think if, if you're a parent, you can kind of understand that. Um, I have four daughters, and then our youngest is, is a son. And let me just tell you, it's like a whole different world. It's a whole different sort of relationship that I got with my boy. Um, again, not more special. I don't love him anymore, but it's, it's just unique. And, uh, and we share some special moments together. Like he, he gets excited about things that, that his sisters just haven't had the same excitement for. I'm telling you, I go to work in the garage. The other day, I was putting something together. Um, we had bought some, um, some piece of furniture or something. I forget what it was. And, and he came into me. He was offended. He's like, Dad, why didn't you tell me you were putting something together? And I was like, I'm so sorry, man. I, it was just kind of a quick little thing. I didn't think. He's like, let me go get my tools, and I will help you. And I was like, I would love that. Like, I noted. Like, I will not do that again, right? Because what, what's going on there? Well, he sees Dad, and he wants to do things and be like Dad. And so he'll come alongside me and he loves, I mean, you know, I might not love it when I dress the same as my wife, but when my son, like he sees that, he's like, dad, he's like, we're mad. And I'm like, dude, let's go. You know, and like, he loves it. Why dads love that when their sons emulate them, when they follow them, the good things, of course, right? Sometimes it's the, the not so good things that I'm like, oh, that you, you learned that from me, didn't you, right? Yeah, but, but here's the thing. The same thing's true of, of, Joseph, of, of Jesus with his earthly father, Joseph, right? He grew up as the son of a carpenter. Well, he himself began and kind of moved into carpentry. And he was known as a carpenter. He's known as this woodworker. And so he emulated and followed his earthly father. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here, is it? He's not talking about his earthly dad. He's talking about his eternal, his heavenly father, the one who sent him the one from whom he is uh, in relationship with for all of eternity, he says this, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but that which he sees the, the father doing. It says, verse 20, for the father loves the son and shows him all that he is doing and greater works will he show him so that you may marvel. What Jesus is trying to do here at the outset, he says, hey, look closer. What you just saw, what just happened there to that man is something that God God the Father, God the, of the, over the universe is doing here in this place. And he's like, the reason, the reason that I am doing this, the reason I did it on Sabbath, the reason that I did it in this way is that so you would marvel, that you would respond in amazement. And remember who he's talking to. He's talking to opponents here. And so what's Jesus doing by calling them to marvel? He's, he's encouraging them, helping to them to take their first step of faith toward Jesus. Like, man, this, there's something more to this guy. He's not just another Jewish man from Galilee. He is, so, there's something more at work here. And Jesus is very clear. He's saying, listen, God is at work. And that's something that we need to understand here is that Jesus needed to correct the wrong perception of the situation. He needed them to see that what he was doing is what God was doing. When he healed, it was God that healed. And their perception needs to match the reality of who it was. When Jesus is working, God is working. I think it's helpful what the commentator D.A. Carson um, says on this passage. It says this, that this does not mean that Jesus derives some sort of cheap thrill at people's astonishment or therefore shapes his mission to generate more of it like some second-class illusionist who lives for the next round of applause. That's not the point of what Jesus is doing. He's not just doing it for some cheap thrill or just to entertain or give the people what they want. 
Make no mistake, what he's doing in that moment is to draw them to the place of amazement and marvel and wonder. And so let's just stop there and like kind of ask the same question of us. When we see Jesus at work today, does it lead us to marvel? Does it lead us to amazement, to wonder? Do you ever take stock? Do you ever kind of take inventory of what God has done? I mean, what a great week to be reminded of this, that as we gather for Thanksgiving, as we celebrate Thanksgiving, in whatever capacity that might be, whether that's a big ordeal for you or that's a very simple ordeal for you, I would encourage you this week to just ask the question, what am I thankful for? Because thankfulness, I think our culture sometimes get it, gets it wrong. I mean, there's plenty of homes that are gathering for Thanksgiving, but who are they thanking? Like, usually when you're thanking, you're thanking somebody or something, right? Like, oh, I'm thankful to this. We're, we know who we're thankful to. All good gifts come from above. All these good things the Lord has done. And so as we gather this week, let's make no mistake of who we are thanking. We are thanking the Lord for all that he is doing in our midst. That we would marvel, that would be, we would be amazed, that we would find wonder in that. I think we need to be careful that we don't just grow accustomed or comfortable with the amazing works of the Lord. Right? We throw around that word all the time. Right? Pizza is amazing. Right? That, 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 that show, that new show is amazing. Like, God is amazing, right? It's different. We understand there's different weight to that. But I think we need to pause and understand and look at when Jesus is working, we are moved to marvel. We're moved to amazement and wonder. You see it right there. It says, Greater works than these will he show him. Why? So that you may marvel. God's working so that you would marvel at him and what he is doing. Let's continue on. Look at verse 21. It says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that you may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him, who sent me has eternal life. He who does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Here's the second thing we see Jesus doing. When Jesus is judging, I am meant to honor. I am meant to honor. He places, Jesus does something that would have created quite the stir among that crowd. You have to remember, again, they're, they're confronting Jesus because he healed on the Sabbath and this guy was walking with his bed. He's working on the Sabbath. And what did Jesus say back in 19, he, or in verse, um, verse 17? He says, my father is working until now I'm working. He's equating himself with the heavenly father. But here he takes it a step further. How? Well, he places himself in the seat of judgment. Do you notice that? It says that for the father raises the dead, so the son gives life to whom he will. The father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. You have to understand that, that in the Jewish mind that there was one judge, right? There's one judge above all others. There's one person who sat in the place of judgment, and that was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was their God. 
And so God the Father was the one who was in the place of judgment. And what is Jesus saying here? It's saying that he's given judgment to the Son. So, so Jesus is, in a sense, he's putting on that, that judge robe, right? He's picking up the gavel. He's taking his seat at the, uh, what do you call that thing? That kind of big, ornate desk that they kind of sit at, whatever that thing is, the judge's seat. He is taking his seat there, and he is saying, listen, I am now the judge, Why? I have been given all authority. I have been put in this place of high honor. Why? Why would he point out that? Well, when Jesus is judging, we are meant to honor. See what it says there? It says, all judgment has been given to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Jesus is in no uncertain terms saying that the same honor that is due to the Father is due to me. The same honor that you give to the supreme judge, you give to me because that is who I am. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He's saying this, that they would honor and that they would find life in knowing and responding to him correctly and rightly. So I wonder, you know, for us, do we, who has the place of judge in our lives? If we're honest, I think there's a lot of people that we let hold that we don't necessarily think of it that way. Right? But I think there's a lot of people that we give that place of judgment to our lives. For some of us, doesn't matter how old you are, that is your parents. Like your parents still hold that place of judgment. You might be, you know, <laughs> you might have five, six decades under your belt and you're, you still have your parents, that place of judgment over your life, right? For some of us, it's our peers, our friends, our group that we hang out with. For others, it might be uh, our coworkers or maybe our boss, For others, maybe it's just someone who doesn't even know that they hold that place. It's what they think matters, what they kind of deem worthy or good in my life matters. Are there people in your life, let me just ask you, are there people that you would say have judgment, that their opinion sways you? I think we're seeing today, I mean, with the influx of information, right, the, the things that are at our disposal, the articles we can read, the podcasts we can listen to, the, 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 the videos that we can watch. I mean, there's so much content coming at us and what, who gets the place of authority? Who's at the seat of judgment? Can I just tell you the place, the person who rightfully deserves that position of authority in our lives is the person of Jesus Christ. He is meant to have that highest place of authority. So the question is not what does our current culture say about it, not does, what does mom think about that, Right? What does my boss say about that? The question is not so much that. It's like, what does Jesus say? Does Jesus say it's right and good? Does Jesus say it's worthy of my pursuit? Does Jesus say that this is what I am to give myself to? And that is the thing that should move us toward action, to response. And so Jesus steps into this place of judgment and he's deeming that which is good and righteous and worthy and he's directing here. Why? So that he would receive honor. See, do we not, the person that holds judgment in our life, do we not again give them honor? Sometimes resentfully so, sometimes maybe begrudgingly, but they do in fact have that place of honor. There's respect. There's deference. Jesus is the one who is worthy of that. That's what he's trying to say to them. He's saying, listen, you are not in the seat of judgment. It is not your place to judge whether this is right or wrong. I am the one who chooses who to give life to. I chose to heal this man. I'm the one who said that it was right and good for him to do this. Why? So that you would honor me in the same way that you honor 
the Father. Jesus is worthy of the same honor that God the Father is. In fact, it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is the Lord, right? That he is the king. He has been elevated. Jesus has been elevated to this place of honor, even by the Father. We see this here. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, believes him who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Jesus is judging. We are meant to honor. Let's continue on, verse 25. Again, Jesus is changing the perception. Verse 25, he says, truly, truly. And what do we take away from that? We've come across this before. Anytime Jesus says truly, truly, he's about to say something really important, right? A mic drop is coming. Truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And that he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. What's Jesus doing here? Well, Jesus is speaking. And when Jesus is speaking, I am made alive. When Jesus is speaking and I respond to his voice, I am made alive. Let's walk our way back through it. Truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. You see, he's speaking through his voice. And it's not just the Son of God who's speaking, it's God through his Son. God is speaking into people's lives through Jesus. And it's not just those who are physically there and present, but he's working even in those who have come before. Even the dead will hear the sound, the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear, and hearing is always equated with responding, right? It's not just enough to hear the voice, but to receive, to accept, to believe. Those who hear, that is, those who receive his voice, will be given eternal life. It is a gift. It's a blessing from the Lord. He is working through his his very uh, speaking. So he's not just speaking through his words, he's speaking through his actions. We have to see that too. When he talks about Jesus speaking or God speaking, it's not just the words that he's saying, the teaching that he's doing, it's the actions. And so what was happening when that man was being healed? He's trying to say him, he's saying, listen, he's like the voice of God is speaking in this healing. When he was told to get up and walk and to take his bed, the voice of God was telling him to do that. Jesus is speaking It says, for in the Father is life himself, and so he is granted also to have life in himself. Just kind of quick pop quiz here in the middle of this. Do you and I have life in and of ourselves? Is there anything that we've done to kind of create or to uh, originate or to cause the life that you and I have? The answer for that, I believe, is no, right? Resoundingly, no. The Genesis account says that God formed man and woman out of the dust of the ground, right? He formed man. It says he took a rib from Adam and formed Eve. And so he framed, and then what does he say? It says that he breathed life into them. And that life has now been passed on and given to you and I. I mean, we received, like how were we conceived from our mom, from our dad? Like that, that is how life was created and given. And it was passed on or given to us. 
So the life that you and I live is not a life that you and I have done. There is no one that ever gave God life. He is the eternal being. Think about that for a minute, and that'll kind of just keep you busy for the rest of the afternoon, okay? If you don't have plans for this afternoon, just think about the eternality of God, and you can spend some time just kind of chewing on that, right? There is no beginning to God. Nobody came along and gave God life. There is life in himself. He's the only being like that. And what he says here is that he gave life to the son. That same life that is in himself, he granted to the son. Let's not misunderstand that. That doesn't mean that the son, you know, at some point didn't have that life and that God gave it to him. It's just saying that that was given and and, and always existed. Because we we believe that Jesus has always existed, co-eternal with the father. We're going to get to this here in a minute. What we're talking about this morning is the trinity. We're seeing a picture of the trinity that word Trinity, you're not going to find it in your Bible. You won't see it anywhere. It's a, a, a theological term that we use to help carry this theological truth. Uh, kind of picture the word the, uh, Trinity like a handle on a suitcase. Okay? The Trinity, the Trinity is, 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 is woven throughout the pages of Scripture. You see it from Genesis to Revelation. You see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit coexisting, eternal, together. It's one God, but three persons. We're not going to unpack all of that, but I just want to say this concept, this understanding of Trinity is not like your checked bag, okay? It won't fit in the overhead compartment. Are you catching the illustration here? I mean, it's like one of those over 70 pounds, like you're going to have to pay some extra fees to kind of get this thing. Like you need to get like, you know, some help to carry that thing up the stairs. But the, the, the handle that we kind of carry this giant theological truth with, we just call it the Trinity, But as you open that up and you start looking at all that that means and all that that understands and and all that's packed into that, I mean, there's a ton in there. And so we we use the word Trinity, but but it's, again, it's as functional as a handle is. It's just carrying this huge theological truth. What we're seeing here as we walk through this, we're seeing the Trinity being unpacked for us. It's saying that the Father has life in his Son and he, or in himself, and he granted to the Son also to have life in himself. So what Jesus is saying, he's saying, listen, I am here and I have the same life within myself that the Father has. And so it has been given to me, that authority has been given to me to execute judgment. And he's like, there's a day coming when even the tombs will open up. And he says, some will be raised to the life, others will be raised to judgment and death. Don't misunderstand or apply. We use scripture to interpret scripture, Right? It's not saying here when it says those who have done good to the resurrection of life. The Bible does not teach some works-based salvation, some works-based righteousness, okay? So you and I, just, just again, I just want to clear this up because I think you might come to that and you're like, wait, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment, well, all I need to do is do a little more good than evil, right? Like I got to, for every bad thing, I got to do a couple good things. As long as I kind of keep those scales balanced or tipping towards the good, I'm going to be okay. That's not what it's saying. Because what scripture teaches, again, use scripture to interpret scripture. Scripture says that the heart is deceitfully wicked, that there is no one who does good. No, not one. All have gone astray. All of us are in this place of evil, deceitfulness, wickedness in our hearts the good that comes, the righteousness that comes is granted to us by the works of the Son, Jesus Christ. And so those who are judged in the past before Jesus are judged according to the work of Jesus. And those who are judged after Jesus are judged according to the work of Jesus. And those who have their faith, their trust, their hope, their belief 
and the works of Jesus will be judged according to his righteousness, not according to anything that they would have. Because every one of us are going to come up short. So Jesus here, he is speaking. And when he's speaking, what's he doing? He's making them alive. See, apart from, think about this. Had Jesus never come, every single one of those tombs has a dead person in it that's going to be eternally dead, separated for all of eternity. The reality is this, is that sin separates us eternally from God. There is no path forward. There is no way back. There is no reconciled relationship, but through the work of Jesus Christ. And so what he's saying here is like the voice of God is speaking and the voice of God is bringing life into the dead. That is what he did for us. We could go around and we could give testimony. Those of you who have received this gift of life have been made alive. And can I tell you this? Jesus is in the business. He's still resurrecting dead things. If Jesus can raise, if Jesus can be raised, if God can raise Jesus from the dead, then he can still resurrect your situation, right? Your trial, your dead heart. He can breathe life into your discouragement, your depression, your marriage, your broken relationship. Jesus can resurrect dead things. He has life in himself. We have to understand that when Jesus is speaking into the situation, that there is life that is coming. He says, an hour is coming where even the tombs will hear his voice. That hour has come. Jesus is at work. He's speaking. Look closer. Don't miss it. Make sure we understand when we perceive the reality correctly, when Jesus is speaking, I am made alive. Let's continue on, verse 30. I can do nothing on my own, it says. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of one who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he is borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, while you were, uh, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the words or for the works of the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. When Jesus, here's what Jesus is doing now, he's pursuing, and when Jesus is pursuing, I am being saved. When Jesus is pursuing, I am being saved. Again, I feel like I have to keep reminding us or sort of pulling us back to what the context is. He's correcting these opponents. He's trying to correct wrong thinking about himself. And so what is he doing? He's, he's like he's on trial. And so he's calling witnesses. He's kind of po- spoke to his works. He says, listen, my works speak to who it is. God the Father himself speaks to who I am. The next witness that's on the witness stand is John the Baptist. That's who he's talking about, John here. He says, listen, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of one who sent me. He's like, that's all well and good. But if I bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Right? I think that still kind of holds true for us. That was certainly true for them. That if you kind of said it of yourself, it's like, okay, yeah, but who, who else? Who else can give testimony to it? 
So you're saying that you're the son of God. Well, who else says that you're the son of God? We need some more witnesses here on the stand because it's not just enough to have your word on its own. And he's like, that's fine. I've got some more witnesses for you. He says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness. Who's that? He says, I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John. Remember, John the Baptist had become a bit of a name. At this point, he's most likely already imprisoned. He speaks out against some of the authorities and some of the the culture and things that were happening to the point that he is beheaded. And so John here is already probably in prison, but he's saying, you sent, you yourselves. Remember, they sent a delegation. Do you remember all the way back, like several weeks ago? They sent a delegation to John to figure out what's going on. Because like John is amassing a, a following. He seems to be this new prophet. What's going on? And he's like, John has bore witness to the truth. What happened when Jesus was with John? Well, God the Father spoke, and he says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And then the Spirit descended on him upon as like a dove. And so John bore witness, this is the Son of God. The Father spoke there. And so he's like, it's not just my testimony, it's the testimony of John. But notice this, this is where I think, I use the word pursuit, right? This is where I see the pursuit happening. Verse 34, he says, not that the testimony that I received is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He's like, listen, let me just kind of rephrase it for us here so we can make sure we understand. He's like, listen, I don't need the testimony of John to say who I am, okay? That doesn't prove it for me. Like, I am the son of God. I am the son of man. But, but, I've given you John for your sake. You have another witness so that you would believe. What is Jesus doing? He's pursuing their rebellious hearts. He's like, listen, I gave you guys John so that you would believe, so it would enhance the testimony and so that you would have life. And what's he doing? Why is he, why is he pursuing them? He's pursuing them so that they were being saved. I think so many times we need to maybe kind of rephrase sometimes that I'm being saved. Like, yes, we speak about being saved in the past tense, but you know that God is still saving us. Like, he's still doing his saving work. What he was doing in that moment is he is trying to bring them to a place of salvation. He's resurrecting their dead hearts and he's pursuing them. Can we just kind of respond to that or just kind of chew on that for a second? Do you know that Jesus is pursuing you even today? I walk in here every single week with a firm belief that Jesus is pursuing us through his word. Every one of you that is here is here for a reason. You have, God has something for you this morning. He is chasing you down and he is trying to hold a truth in front of you so that you would see it and that you would respond rightly And what's he doing in that? He's saving you. He's saving you from yourself. He's saving you from your sin. He's saving you from this world, from the the enemy, from the clutches of darkness and destruction. Like he is saving you. He is actively pursuing you. That's what he was doing, even for his opponents, right? Those that would seek to oppose him. He is actively saying, listen, I am saying these things so that you may be saved, so that you would be saved. He was like a burning and shining lamp, John was. And you were willing to rejoice. Everyone was excited about the message that John had for a little while, for a little while. But he says, listen, the testimony I have is greater than John. For the works of the Father has given me to accomplish are the very works that I am doing. They bear witness to why God has sent me, why the Father has sent me. He's pursuing. I'm being saved. Let's look at the last one. Uh, Continuing on, verse 37, let's read it and I'll give it to you. It says this, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. 
His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Who has he sent? He sent Jesus. He's like, you don't believe me, so clearly you don't have the word of God within you. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. You have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that, God comes, that comes only from God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Man, I come to this passage, and this is where we could just like press the reset button and start over. There's a whole, whole like sermon we could preach just on this. There's so much in here. But I want to connect it to what we've seen so far. So we're going to keep on mission. We've got one more thing that we see Jesus doing. What's Jesus doing here? He's confronting. He's confronting. He's challenging them so that they would be led to believe. You know that Jesus confronts our improper, errant ways, our errant views, the misperceptions, misconceptions that you and I have. He confronts us. And what is he doing here? He's confronting them, and he's using his word to do it. Notice we talked last week about the scriptures. More is said here on the scriptures. He says that you have... You've never heard his voice. You've never seen his form. You don't have his word abiding in you. You don't be, why? How do I know that? Because you don't believe me. You don't believe the one that he sent. It says, you search the scriptures. The scriptures would have been the Old Testament books, those 39 books of the Old Testament. It's the same Bible that Jesus read from. And I think, again, if we could just kind of not get too far down this rabbit hole, we talked about scripture last week and being able to trust it. I think this is another further proof for us that we can trust scripture Jesus read from the scriptures and he said, every time he quoted it, he says, the word of God says, or God says, and he quoted that Old Testament as if it was the very words of God. Why? Because it is. It is. There's so much more that we can dive into here. I don't want to get us off course, but you can just see the way that Jesus, if Jesus loves scriptures, we need to love scriptures as well. If Jesus trusted the scriptures, we need to trust the scriptures as well. But he says here, don't miss the point of the scriptures. It says, you search the scriptures because in it you think you have eternal life. Let me just tell you something. Let me let you off the hook. Your quiet time in the morning, your devotion, your kind of five minutes, 10 minutes, hopefully more, 30 minutes in the word of God will not create in you eternal life in and of itself. Like there's nothing magical about reading the pages of the scripture in and of themselves. They are helpful for us. They have power for us in so much as we see Jesus in them. Do you see that? He's confronting their thinking. You search the scriptures because you think that the scriptures themselves have eternal life, and they don't. They have life because they bear witness about me. And so the scriptures are only so helpful in that we get to know Jesus. Jesus gave us the scriptures so that we would get to know him, that there would be relationship in him. And so if the scriptures for you are some academic study where you're going to understand more about kind of this theological truth or this sort of characteristic or this sort of, you know, idea or framework or whatever it is, that's, 
not necessarily a bad thing, but it is if it keeps you from the relationship that Jesus wants to have with you through his scriptures. Jesus gave us his word so that we would know him. You can read a biography. I've read many. I love biographies. I've read so many biographies, and I feel like I kind of know about the person. But I'll tell you, after I finish reading a biography, I don't know the person, okay? Like, I don't know the person. I've read, I've read very widely about all sorts of people, okay? I'm trying to think of, like, who I've read recently. Uh, to me, I, this was a while back, but Steve Jobs, super interesting guy. I mean, he's affected a lot of us. How many of us have, like, a phone in our pocket that, like, you know? So I'm like, I want to know about this guy. I read about Steve. I don't know Steve Jobs. I know about him. I don't know him. When we read scripture, it's different than a biography. We are learning and, and, and growing in relationship with God himself through the scriptures. And he's confronting them and he's saying, listen. He's like, listen, you need to read the scriptures and you need to see me. I don't receive my glory from, you guys are taking this and you've taken it so far. You're giving glory to one another. You're missing me. I'm the one who's worthy of your glory. Right? How can you believe, verse 44, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you don't seek the glory that comes only from God? He says, listen, I'm not the one who's accusing you. Moses himself is. He's like, it's the scriptures himself. The words that Moses spoke speak of me. And so if you are missing me, then you're not hearing from Moses. He's the one who said, I mean, all the law, the testament, it's pointing forward to me. He's like, it's all about me. This book, this book, it's a collection of books that we hold in our hand. It's all about Jesus. It's pointing to Jesus. He's like, it's about me. So what's he doing? He's confronting them. He's challenging them. Can I just say this? That does your Jesus, the Jesus that you follow, does he confront you? I've said it this way before, but let me just say it again. If everything that you believe, Jesus believes with also, I'm thinking you might be following some kind of made-up version of Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible. Right? Jesus confronts and challenges and convicts our thinking. If this book never, if you never feel conviction in your heart, like, man, I'm, I'm missing some things or I'm doing some things wrong, this should change us. That's the Bible that, 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 that Jesus intended for us to have, is it should confront us. It's meant to confront us. We should feel this conviction. And what's he doing when he's doing that? Well, he's leading us to belief. When we see and we understand our need for salvation, then we can believe on him who provides it and we can then respond rightly to him. Do the scriptures challenge your thinking, your perception? Do they confront who you are? If you're reading them correctly, if you're reading them for who they are, they should. They should. Every one of us, not one of us has it right. We have God's word and it corrects us and confronts us. Let me just end with this. I think what we're trying to do here this morning, and hopefully we've done it, I, I, sometimes I get up and I try and you know, provide clarity to what God's word is so perfectly said. I would just encourage you, spend some time in this passage this week. Chew on it, meditate on it, study it, because there's so much more here that we have just kind of glossed the surface over. What I was hoping to do is, is to magnify Jesus this morning. I'm going through a study with a few guys right now, and, and John Piper has this teaching where he talks about the, what magnifying really is. It's, 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 sometimes we think about magnifying as in like a, a microscope, right? Like we look and it magnifies, it makes something small, big in our eyes. That's not what we're saying when we're trying to magnify the Lord. It's more like a telescope, right? You look at a planet or a star, something that's far off and it's massive. And what does that telescope help you do? It helps you have a right perception. You get a bigger picture for what it is. 
And so when we say, when we gather here in this, in this place, when we open up scriptures, what we're trying to do is we're trying to magnify Jesus Christ. We're not making him bigger than he is. We're not taking something small and making it bigger. We're taking something that's massive and we're having a better perception, a better reality of it. And so let's take the word of God this morning. Let's look closer at who Jesus is and let's respond rightly, whether that's through amazement, whether that's through belief, whether that's through an honor or being confronted and challenged, like believing some things differently. This is what happens when we confront, we are confronted when we meet with the real Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for what your spirit has taught and led us in this morning. God, I just ask for your, God, for your spirit to lead us into the right application. Jesus, would we have a right perception of who you are? God, in knowing you and knowing your son, God, we know you. Lord, would we not have a love for religious things? God, not a love for for church or for the Bible or for a service. But God, these things are helpful in so much as they point us to you. And so Jesus, we respond to you this morning. Jesus, we love you. We want to grow in our understanding and relationship with you. God, we want to know you more. Help us to do that. God, thank you for passages like this. Lord, I pray that you would continue to lead us into a right and a better understanding. God, we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.